And we're in a, a series that we were looking at, something that we call the cruciform life, what it looks like as Christians to live a cross-shaped lifestyle. And um, we're kind of there, but I think as I've been reflecting this week and trying to prepare for this morning, I just thought, you know what, it's a lot more fun if instead of just trying to go, hmm, what can we say about the cruciform life? It's a lot more fun if we just said, God, what do you want to say to us this morning? And uh, it'll fit in part with that, but there's also just some stuff on my heart that I think I'd love the opportunity to share. Um, last week we did four nights of Bible reading here. Uh, we read through the book of Luke and the book of Acts each evening from Monday to Thursday, 7.30 to 9.30. And honestly, before we did this, I thought, well, I'll have fun because I'm, I'm a bit of a Bible nerd and I like reading. And I don't know if anyone will come. So I made sure I had a you know, few people. I was like, John, you're coming. Jane, can you do coffees and come? So at least there'll be two of us and we can just read to each other. But I was so encouraged, I think, across the four nights, over 30 people engaged and just came here for a couple of hours on an evening just to sit and listen to the Bible being read aloud. And a particular highlight was seeing many of our young people on the Wednesday night join us. And some of them came up the front here and read aloud to us um, from God's Word. And it was particularly moving. But the reason I bring it up is because I think... Um, Something happened on Thursday night that was really quite special, and I really wasn't quite prepared for it. So it was as simple as it sounds. We just came up, we read the Bible, someone would read a bit, and then they'd sit back down, and then someone else would come up and read something from the Bible, and then sit back down. And we'd keep doing that for four nights. And uh, on Thursday evening, we finished it, and Alex came to the end of the book of Acts. We read the last words, and he sat back down, and I just, you know... Before he, read, before he finished, I was thinking to myself, okay, time's quite good, I'm going to go home, I'll, I'll have a whiskey before bed to relax, a bit of a nightcap, I'm not sure if I should say that in public. <laughs> and I was just thinking about what's coming next, what am I going to do? Well, we can watch a bit of a TV show that we're going through. And Alex finished reading, sat back down, and I said, oh, I said, this is God's word. And I said, John, let's get up, and John, come up here and tinkle on the guitar, and we'll pray, and we'll sing. And honestly, there was... From that point on, no one said anything. No one wanted to say anything. There was like a hush and an awe that came over the room. Um, you have moments in, the, in your life as a Christian where you become very aware of God's nearness. He's here among us. Like you could touch him. Or you're just very aware that he's here. And that was certainly one of those evenings. It was, it was quite startling. I think for the next half an hour, we just sat in silence. And it's not like... I tried to finish the evening several times. I was like, you can go home now. And no one moved. It was just, I don't want to. There's something about being here. And as we, we were sat there, I was thinking about times where, I, when I was thinking about revivals that have occurred in the past. A revival is a time where God, by his spirit, seems to move sovereignly and people are converted, become Christians in huge numbers, get drawn to Jesus, the church gets renewed, there becomes an awareness of God's activity in the world in, in a way that there normally isn't in day-to-day -day life. And I was sitting there thinking about, well, I don't want to go home, I don't want to speak, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything, I just want to be here. And, and I was half expecting someone to knock on the door and say, I need to know about Jesus. And my mind was drawn back to a time uh, in, in England where similar things were occurring. John, can you chuck me that book? Uh, and I thought I'd share a couple just to stir us because last week was interesting. It was exciting on Easter Sunday. Um, I basically just I scrapped what I'd prepared 
to say and just tried to respond to what God was saying. Basically, Shayla brought this beautiful encouragement about um, come in, God welcomes you in, and we just we picked that theme up about Easter, welcome home. And that message it would still resonate. If this is one of your first times, or you haven't been to church for a while, the Father would say, welcome home, come to Jesus. Um, but I was half tempted to just say to Shayla, what shall I preach on this morning, Shayla, since you seem to have a hotline to what God wants us to say. And so when she brought that reading, I was like, that's a good reading. Let's just turn to Romans 8 and we'll, s- we'll see what God wants to say. But uh, I w- last Sunday, I felt God say to us as a church, the time for low expectations in the Christian life is over, that we should, all of us, be a lot more aware of who it is that we, we know and have in our lives and should be able to dream and pray a lot more. Now my, my conversion experience, I, be, I don't come from a Christian home, a Christian background. Uh, I started going to church when a friend at school invited me to a Christian club. And the only reason I went was because my parents were driving to work and they dropped me off if I went early. So I went to school early just because it meant I, I didn't have to walk. <laughs> And that was fun. Uh, so, and I went there, and the RE teacher from school was there. And he said, he said, in the Bible, it says that all of our hearts have gone bad, but God offers us a new heart for free. And I was a student, so I thought, I'll take anything for free. So I prayed. I said, God, I'll have a new heart. And nothing really changed in, that I knew of in the moment. But a couple of years later, I found myself just continually wanting to explore Christianity. And I was drawn to the big questions of life. Is there a God? Does he have a does he care about me? What's he like? Uh, I was just obsessing about those sorts of things. I think I became convinced that there's more to this world than just material matter. That there is something supernatural and transcendent to be explored. And so I went on a weekend away with my school, the, the club that I was part of. And I thought the world was going to end because it was July 4th, 1999. And everyone was saying that the world was going to end, if you remember. And so I, I packed my shirt, the only shirt I owned. It was a blue Ben Sherman shirt. And I said to my mum in the car, I said, you've been a great mum if the world does end. Uh, I'm going on this weird Christian retreat in the woods where we're going to drink poison. Um, and she still let me go, which you know, says something about her parenting. <laughs> but uh, on this weekend, I think... I stood up in front of a group of my peers and I said, I want to live for Jesus. And I think in that moment, something hit me. I became very aware of God's nearness, his presence, his love, his activity. And honestly, I think I I just thought, this is far better than anything else on the shelf of life. Knowing God closely, knowing that he loves you, knowing his power. And there are times in our lives as Christians where we're very, very aware that God is near. And I think he wants us as a group of people to live in that relationship with him. I think I've, I've spent a lot of time reading and talking to atheists about Christianity. And every month I'm part of a group where I, I gather the smartest atheist friends I have and say, let's just talk about this. And they're very adamant in their atheism. And I'm very adamant in my Christianity. And what I've experienced, what I've come to realize is there isn't some super knockdown argument out there that suddenly is going to prove to the world that God doesn't exist. Neither is there a super knockdown argument that proves to the world God does exist. As Christians, we needn't be afraid of thinking deeply about our faith. But I mention that because for all the intellectualizing in the world, and as good as that is, I value that. What God really wants for us is for us to know him. He's a person. And he's not interested in us just thinking about him or even being able to just reason about him. He wants us to know him personally. 
And that means bringing the stuff of our life, our questions, our hurts, our pains, our whys, our what's, just bringing it all to him and saying, God, help me. And it means us as, as saints, as Christians, cultivating a relationship with him across our lives where I think I'm only a baby Christian, really, compared to many of you. I've, I've been a Christian for, what, 20 years. Um, some of you have been Christians for 40 years. I think, I think at age 20 as a Christian, I've, I know Jesus better than I did when I first got to know him. But I'm also so aware. I've got so much to learn about God. We all have. So much that I want to know about him. And the wonderful thing about knowing Jesus is that it is like the sea that is shallow enough that toddlers can toddle in it. But God is deep and broad enough that sailors can sail in him and still find that there's more to explore and more to know. I mention all of that because I think God wants us to have a greater expectation for him to break in in any moment and for us to not just confine him to our ways of operating. You know, I think we did 10 weeks on the Ten Commandments. We looked at them, we learned, we studied. And now we're going to do 10 weeks on the creed and what the church believes. And we're going to study and we're going to learn. And that's all good. And we come here to sit under God's word and to hear from it. But I also think there's a need for us to just take some time and be like, Father, what are you saying to us right now? And let's not, let's not be too busy in making our plans. That honestly, we, we crowd out what God is wanting to say in the moment right now. You know, the supernatural dimension to, to, to the world. Su- supernatural life is not up there in the sky. And we're asking and hoping that it breaks down into earth. Properly understood, the realm of the supernatural exists alongside the natural. It's like one of those kids' books where you pull the, the flap and the, the images slide and you see a picture of a rhino. And then you pull the flap and you see an image of a lion. The supernatural realm is here among us. And eternity is not a very long period of time. Time belongs to this realm, the realm of time and space. Eternity is the place where God lives, in the supernatural realm, where there is no space-time. It's just God, and God is all in all. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says this, All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares Yahweh. But this is the one to whom I will look. What he's about to say, we ought to listen to, because God says, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We tremble at many things. We tremble before celebrities. We tremble before our own ideas and our own brilliance. We tremble before our new technologies. But God is after a people who tremble before him and his word. And I have a, a question for you. How malleable are you before God? How much do you allow him to shape you? How hard is your heart to respond to what he has to say to you in any given moment? Often, I don't think many of us are particularly hard. We're just often so busy that we don't stop long enough to say, God, I want to soften my heart and my life to say, speak to me now. I'm ready to do what you say. But honestly, to know him and to live with him requires us to adopt that posture. Say, God, I've got my ideas for life. I think I understand reality. But I I want you to teach me. 
And what we felt on Thursday when we read through Luke and Acts, I think, was a glimpse of what it's like to tremble before God and his word. It honestly was incredible, and I wish we were all there to experience it. But I think going home, I was just texting my friends who were there saying, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? Am I making that up? And then, no, that was, I can't really talk about it. So I mentioned that to say, you missed out. <laughs> Not just to say you missed out, but to say, please, let's seek this together. I don't want, I don't want to just go to church and hear, sing songs and listen to sermons. I want to know him, and he wants to know you. <laughs> That's the remarkable thing about God. He wants to know you. He wants to know you intimately and personally. He wants, he wants you to bring all of your just stuff and all of your heartaches and questions and pain and wrestlings and, and grapple with him with it. You know, that's, that story of, in the Old Testament with Jacob wrestled with God until daybreak. And there was a man who had a lot of angst and a lot to wrestle about. He was full of his own self-importance. And ultimately, all of his trickster ways had caught up with him. And God grapples with him in the night. And, God, and he says to God, I won't let you go until you bless me. Often, I think in the church, I'm guilty of this. I, can, I think that's a lovely idea. But in reality, I, I adopt the posture of, I won't let you go until it's time for coffee. <laughs> I won't let you go until my favorite show's on the telly. And I need to really get on with my life. I think God wants us to soften our hearts enough to say, God, honestly, if you're there, there is nothing and no purpose for my life bigger and broader than knowing you and making sure. I mean, oh, there's so much I feel like I could just, this is what I am doing, isn't it? I'm just pouring out, I guess, the stuff that's in my head and heart for us as a church because I want us to grasp this. But I know what it's like, I think, to be trapped by this envy and comparison and a desire for someone else's life or someone else's stuff, desire for someone else's church. I know what it's like to think, I wish he was my leader. I wish I could listen to them preach every week. I wish I could listen to that band every, I wish I had that much money. I wish I could go on that holiday. Honestly, we can spend so much time just focusing on all of that noise that we miss the fact that the living God has looked you in the eye and said, I love you. Come and know me. Come. I mean, in the Old Testament, it says there is coming a day where no longer will one person say to another, know the Lord, because they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. In the Old Testament, it says there is coming a day where it won't just be the leaders and the priests who know God personally, but everyone will have an intimate relationship. There is coming a day. And in the New Testament, it says that day is here. Jesus, through his spirit, his, his, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, in the world, in order that we might now be able to say, I know him. And that, honestly, is the only thing that will satisfy and bring wholeness to our lives. It's the only thing that, ultimately, I think, I will look back on my life and I will have regrets, like all of us do, I'm sure. But the one thing you will never regret is time spent getting to know him. Because, if anything, it's just a down payment for, for future goodness. What you get to know of God now carries with you through the grave and you realize, wow, this is what my life's for. I want to I read something for us because um, the last major outpouring of God's Spirit in this country 
on UK soil was in 1949 in the Scottish Hebrides in the island's remote part of the country. Very few people know or have visited, but God knows that it's there and God moved powerfully in 1949. And it began when two old ladies, Peggy Smith, who is age 84 and blind, and her sister Christine were praying and asking God. They were looking at the state of the church in their little town in the Hebrides. And they were praying, saying, God, where are all the young people? Where's all the people who want to go to church? The, the church is in decline. Post-World War II, many of the people who did love God didn't come back from the war. They died. Or uh, after an initial surge of interest in God after World War II, I think church attendance in the UK was at its highest after World War II for a while. But it dropped off. Those people didn't perhaps have all of their, their questions answered. I don't know. And these two old ladies would look at the state of their church and say, God, where are all the young people? And they were praying. And they felt God say that there's a time of renewal and blessing coming to them. So they told their church leader, and they said, you need to get ready because God is on the move. And so he called a prayer meeting. And at the same time that that Peggy Smith and her sister Christine were, were praying, at the prayer meeting, someone stood up and they read from Psalm 24. And in Psalm 24, they read this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. And they said, which of us has clean hands? Who of us is seeking God? And they, they began a period of saying, God, we want to get right with you. We want to make sure we're putting you first with everything in our lives. And when the church does that, you, I think when, it, the, when the church does that generally, but when, in particular in this case, when the church was doing it, you realize God was on the move. And these two old ladies, they got in touch with a man named Duncan Campbell, who was a preacher in the UK, and they said, we think God's spoken to us and said that you're going to come and speak here in our country or town, island, and, um, in two weeks' time. And Duncan Campbell said, that's lovely, but my diary's busy. I'm, I can't make it. And they said, you will be here <laughs> in two weeks' time. And sure enough, in two weeks' time, Duncan Campbell had found his plans changed and he, was, he felt God lead him and he did. He went to the Hebrides and he began preaching and praying and, and he preached one evening at the Hebrides and they said it was a good meeting, you know, it was a good sermon, but it wasn't anything like the outpouring that they were expecting in the church. And so after the, after the service, the minister, the deacon of the church, said to Duncan Campbell, well, maybe, let's, you know, Duncan's already tired from traveling and just preaching. And they said, well, maybe let's go and pray some more. So they went to pray. And at 3 a.m., they were still praying. And um, in times of outpourings and revivals, meetings go on a long time. I've read a few. They go on a long time. Like through the night, people just pray. And I've often read that and gone, I, I don't think I could handle that because I, I get bored really easily. Like, my attention span is about the attention span of a gnat. Um, I don't think I could. But what was interesting to me on Thursday night after we finished reading, I think I glimpsed something that I realized I can understand how people pray all night now because when, when you're aware of God's presence, no one wants to move or leave. But this is what, happens after, this is what happened after they prayed. I'll just read a bit from this book. Duncan Campbell described what happened. God was beginning to move. The heavens were opening. 
we were there on our face before God. Three o'clock in the morning came and God swept in. About a dozen men and women lay prostrate on the floor, speechless. Something had happened. We knew that the forces of darkness were driven back and men were going to be delivered. We left the cottage at 3 a.m. to discover men and women seeking God. I walked along a country road and found three men on their faces crying to God for mercy. There was a light in every home. No one seemed to think of sleep. When Duncan and his friends gathered at the church in the morning, the place was crowded. A stream of buses came from every part of the island, yet no one could discover who had told them to come. A butcher in his van brought seven men from a distance of 17 miles. All seven were gloriously converted. Now the revival was really underway. The Spirit of God was at work. All over the church, men and women were crying for mercy. Some fell into a trance, some swooned, many wept. Campbell pronounced the blessing at the end of the service and almost all left the chapel. Suddenly, a young man began to pray. He was so burdened for the souls of his friends that he prayed for almost three quarters of an hour. During this time, the people returned to the church, joined by many others, until there were twice as many outside the church as inside it. In some amazing way, the people gathered from Stornoway and Ness and different parishes. It was 4 a.m. the following morning before Duncan Campbell pronounced the blessing to conclude the service for a second time. Even then, there he, was, he was still unable to go home to bed. As he was leaving the church, a messenger told him, Mr. Campbell, people are gathered at the police station from the other end of the parish. They are in great spiritual distress. Can anyone here come along and pray with them? Duncan Campbell went, and what a sight met him. Under the, stair stair under the starlight, not stairlift, that's something different. <laughs> under the starlight sky, he found men and women on the road, others by the side of a cottage, and some behind a peat stack, all crying to God for mercy. The revival had come. That went on for five weeks, with services from early morning until late. For five weeks weeks and all of that because people prayed and asked God to come and move in a powerful way honestly like I just want to show you I, I did I did try to plan some ideas for this morning that I was going to preach but I, I just I think God really wants us as a church to grasp something and get this that he is able to He's able to do in a minute what it takes us a hundred years to do on our own strength in our own effort. He wants, he wants us as a, his people to seek him with our whole hearts and see what he's able to do in response. It's funny, with buying this, um, this building in the last few months is that four years ago, God spoke to us about buying it. Um, the story was that we felt God speak to us about buying it in a prayer meeting. And so I contacted the minister who was running the church here. And uh, it was, it was going to be an awkward conversation because I was thinking, how do you say, tell someone who's using a church, can I buy your building? But before I brought it up, the minister said to me, uh, I guess you want a church building. We're actually going to sell this one. Do you want it? And I, and I said, well, yeah, that's why I'm here. I felt God tell us we could have it. Uh, <laughs> Four years ago, like as a church, we were gathering 
70 people. And um, we've been doing that for a few years, about 70 people. And we're thinking, God, we really want people to come to know you, but it seems so slow going. Like, no one seems interested, God. What do we do? And I, I thought, well, we'll buy this because, you know, we can fit 70 people in this. And you know, the rate that it's taking us as a church to grow, we'll be in it for years before we fill it. And we'll have to think about what's next. Last Sunday, we had 150 people just crammed in here. Many people who don't know Jesus are seeking Jesus. I'd love to, to spend time telling you about some of them. But there are people who are spiritually very hungry and very open to God. And they're looking for a church who know him. And don't just run services and talk about him. And I think there's an expectation from anyone who's not a believer that if they come to a church... What they want to see is something real and genuine and authentic. And, and they want to see men and women who are saying, this is me, I'm just like you, I'm full of holes, I've got lots of questions, lots of issues, but Jesus is enough and he satisfies me and he can satisfy you and he can, he's forgiven me, he can forgive you. And honestly, I believe God is able to do remarkable things through a church like that. And I'd love to pray. And the band will come back up and we'll respond to what God is saying to us Father I had some good things I really wanted to say today but we really want to park all of our ideas and invite you to, to come and change us Lord when I, I read stories about revivals I can't help but read that and think, God, do it again. Do it in our day. Lord, so satisfy us as a church that we become the light of the world because we're so convinced as Christians, Jesus is enough for me. And you are enough for us, Lord. We forget. We forget and we crowd you out. But we hear your invitation this morning. Your invitation from your word that Shayla read, that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Can persecution or nakedness or famine or death or angels or demons, I'm convinced that none of these things. And what your word says, Father, is, is not you will never experience difficulty from these things. We will experience death. We will experience famine and persecution and hard, heartache and hardship. We will experience opposition from demons and spiritual forces coming against us. But what your word says to us, Father, is that none of those things is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I ask that you'd fill us with your love afresh this morning. Remind us of that reality. Cause us to be people who dream big dreams for God, I pray. Amen.